Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. This is the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart, and I'm here with... Aaron Badgley. And folks, whether you're listening on your podcast player or on the radio, welcome to the show. This week we're doing something different again. We're focusing on one specific day because we've got the spookiest of all days coming up, don't we, Aaron? Is that the release of Yentl? No, just kidding. Yes, we do. October 31st, Halloween. And you know, I'm looking forward to this because it's always fun to talk about what's going on on Halloween. It seems like the stars align in a different way or something, as you're going to notice. So, buckle up, folks, and we'll be right back. So, Tony, this is a a special show because it is a special time of the year. I love Halloween. It's probably one of my favorite times. I love the decorations and the costumes and the candy. But before we go into that, I just want to clear up. Maybe there's some confusion about the podcast and our new radio show, which is called From Memphis to Merseyside. And maybe just take a couple of minutes and talk about the differences between the two shows. You know, just to kind of clear the air. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. So anybody who's a longtime listener of this show will know that we always end with a segment called From Memphis to Merseyside, and we focus on either Elvis or the Beatles, and sometimes both. But the two of us, didn't we, early on thought, man, that would make for a great radio show. And so that's what we decided to do. So we have a radio show called From Memphis to Merseyside, and we're focusing on that specific period from when Elvis burst onto the scene in 1954 until John Lennon uh, tragically passed away on December 8th, 1980, that 26-year period. It's a social history show. Of course, we'll play music outside that time period, but really we're talking about the events, the people, the places, things that happened during those 26 years and how we got from 1954 to 1980. Uh, Anything else, Aaron, or did I sum it up pretty well? I think you summed it up beautifully, and I think that the other big difference is that our podcast, we can't play music. The radio show, we can. So it's kind of neat for Tony and I to talk about something, say Sun Records, and then play some Elvis or Roy Orbison or whatever, and play their actual records. So, you know, you're kind of joining us for a talk about these things, and then we can illustrate it with some fantastic, and let me stress this word, fantastic music. Oh, yeah, it's great. We uh, were, Our second episode is coming out tomorrow from when we're recording this. So, Uh, Really excited. That's on Bombshell Radio. Now, the podcast is also on the radio, and there is a difference if you're a radio listener versus a podcast listener. If you're a radio listener, stick around at the end because we're going to play some of the music that we talked about on the show. And if you're not a radio listener, if you're just using your podcast player, then Aaron always puts together a fantastic Spotify playlist every week, and we'll point you to that. Now, before we get started here uh, on our October 31st Day in the Life episode, you know, I'm excited, Aaron. I'm hoping the kids will be out in full force this year. You know, we moved to Perth. We've got the new house, new old house. Um, And I can't wait to see how many kids we get. I, I hope a lot, actually. Well, first of all, when I walk down your street, it, it, everyone's decked out for Halloween. I think you're going to get a fair amount of kids coming in to knock on the door and shout out trick or treat. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I look forward to the kids coming to the door too. But on the other hand, I look forward to them not coming because the last couple of years, I made out like a bandit when it came to chocolate at the end of the night. But anyway, so that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of bandits, there's another of my famous segues. Oh, uh, your segues. <laughs> <laughs> 
On October 31st, 1952, this is a great story. Pianist Johnny Johnson hired a 26-year-old guitarist named Chuck Berry uh, for his band. Uh, Berry was uh, a native of the St. Louis area. He was playing evening gigs in the area, but he was also a hairdresser, wasn't he? And a lot of people don't know that (laughs) about Chuck Berry, but he was a hairdresser, guitarist, of course, one of the founding fathers of rock and roll, right? I love Chuck Berry. I love all the stories about Chuck Berry. He cracks me up. I, I mean, I've, I've watched countless interviews with the man, and he never ceases to put a smile on my face. I, I, I was doing the research. You know, you know, you and I do some research for this, and, and I had no idea that he was convicted of armed robbery when well, he was in high school. Yeah, he, he, that's not all that he was convicted of, though. Like, he was also convicted of trafficking, human trafficking across state lines. Did you know that? Yeah. I yeah. did see that one. I knew that one. I knew, but I didn't know about the uh, the reform school, or they called it a reformatory at the time. Um, from forty four to forty seven, three years. He that's did for that. that's wild, eh? He um, Chuck Berry was a, a true original, of course. His guitar playing was the model for all future rock and roll guitars to come. I mean, Keith Richards, you know, basically worships at uh, Chuck Berry's feet, doesn't he? And rightfully so. Um, I mean, look, Keith Richards is very talented, but Keith is also, I mean, when he first started, him and Brian Jones picked up a lot of um, style technique from all these masters. And Chuck Berry was a master. And right up to the day he died, his last studio album was absolutely stellar. I I love the man. As I said, I'm I'm a big fan of Chuck Berry. John Lennon, um, you know, was a huge fan of Chuck Berry, too. And the Beatles did, you know, had a big hit with Roll Over Beethoven. Uh, so yeah, Chuck Berry was a, certainly a huge influence and, and it's funny that he was a hairdresser while he was still playing guitar. And the other thing I find kind of amusing too, or interesting is that 26 in 1952 seemed like a very almost old age to get into the whole professional music scene, right? Yeah, no, very, that I was going to remark on that as well. Now I want to return to Keith Richards for a second. Did you ever hear the story about Chuck Berry punching Keith Richards in the face? Have you heard that tale? I honestly have not heard that story so i'd love to hear it okay so (laughs) and you know the way that keith richards tells the story is hilarious because he was hanging around backstage and he decided to pick up chuck berry's guitar and strum a few chords and mr berry was not impressed and decided to punch him in the face and But Keith, he speaks lovingly of the incident, you know, it's, uh, but that's, that's very Keith Richards, isn't it? <laughs> and it's also very Chuck Berry. We're talking about <laughs> a guy that, um, you know, you had to pay him in cash. He did not, you, you did not write him a check. And if he didn't see the uh, attache case with uh, stacks of 20s, he wasn't going to perform. But I'd love to, I wish there was film footage of him punching Keith Richards. Did yeah. Keith know got punched? Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Now, we covered uh, Chuck Berry before on this podcast, one of those um, festivals, right, where things got out of hand and Chuck Berry took his suitcase of cash and just bailed. That was the Hells Angels, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember which festival that was. That was it. That was the, uh, it was the Isle of Man, I think, or something like that. It was in England. And um, he, the only way he escaped. Oh, <laughs> right, I'm right. The story again. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, escaped go, go because he said... Yeah, yeah. Let me let me show you how I do my duck walk. And he duck walked right off stage. <laughs> yeah, he had a, he had one of the Hell's Angels or a couple of them doing the duck walk with him, and he just kept going. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. 
<laughs> he, he kept going and Doc walked right into his limousine and drove the hell out of there is what happened. I mean, he, it was it was getting ugly there. So, hey, he's no fool. No fool. No. And, uh, you know, had his cash with him. So he made a way well. But this guy, you know, Chuck Berry is right up there with the other founding fathers of rock and roll. Um, right up there with Elvis, right up there with Little Richard, all those people. And his guitar playing inspired generations of players. Now, you have a really interesting chart because we talked about the founding fathers of rock and roll, but really on this chart here, you picked the top five rhythm and blues albums, right? These are albums or, or songs? No, these are singles. singles these are singles. singles. Okay. So the top yeah. five singles, rhythm and blues in 1952. And there's a name that appears on here three times. The godmother of rock and roll, as she is often nicknamed, <laughs> Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was a huge influence on all these people. In fact, she was the one who encouraged little Richard to get his career going, wasn't she? Well, yeah, 100%. And you know what, Tony? It's funny you picked up on the whole, because when I looked at the top five, all but one is, is are women, mm-hmm. which is interesting for 1952. Three of the five are Sister Rosetta Tharp, yep. which just speaks to how massively huge she was. And again, it's one of those things where, sadly, when I put on an oldie station, I don't hear her music, which is a real shame. Um, but let's look at the top five rhythm and blues. This is according to Billboard chart. Uh, number five, I'm going to go say her name several times, Sister Rosetta Tharp with The Last Mile of the Day. Number four, Sister Rosetta Tharp, There Will Be Peace in the Valley for Me. Number three is a bit of a mystery to me, this Marie Knight. There's not a lot... I could find on this woman, but she had a great song. I heard it on YouTube called Hold On. Uh, it's worth it. Number two, Coleman Hawkins. Now, there's a name you don't hear often. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could be with you one hour tonight. Now, what would you do in that hour, Coleman? And number one, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Tell him that you saw me. Great title. So she, uh, you know, as I did the chart, I said to myself, maybe we should do something about her on one of our future episodes of From Memphis to Mercy Side. Oh, we should, as an influencer, without doubt. And in fact, yeah. I just want to tie her to Chuck Berry for a second. One of Chuck Berry's famous quotes, he said, you know, I spent my entire career doing one big Sister Rosetta Tharp impression, which speaks mm. volumes about the influence that she had on him. And in fact, you go back and listen to some of her guitar work in the 30s and even 40s. And boy, if that's not almost rock and roll, I don't know what is. It's so close. And what a voice too, eh? What a voice. Absolutely incredible. So I'm sure there'll be lots of Sister Rosetta Tharp on the playlist for our podcast listeners. And for our radio listeners, uh, we'll make sure that at least one Sister Rosetta Tharp gets a song gets in there. Now, what do you think, Aaron? I think it's time for a break. And then we're going to jump ahead to October the 31st, 1969, and we're going to be talking a little David Bowie. So stick around. So here we are. It's October the 31st, 1969. We're in England, in Gravesend, and we're talking about David Bowie. It's a a Halloween night story, of course, but Aaron, before we get to that, when I say David Bowie, what what kind of things do you think of? What does Bowie mean for you? Um, for me, he it, it's innovator, extremely cool, and genius. How about you? 
I would say those are really good descriptions, right? And also like a, a taste maker. Um, yeah. Innovator, a guy who charted his own path at all times. And he, he was so original from all throughout his career, you know, and of course we lost him way too soon, but so let's talk about Bowie here. He's at a Halloween night, uh, gig and it's at general gordon gravesend england i'm not sure where that is but the story is fantastic gravesend isn't that perfect for halloween oh it is yeah now this gig only lasted about 15 minutes okay bowie came on stage and sang space oddity and of course the crowd loved it but what did he do next this didn't curry him any favor with his crowd (laughs) you know this is the thing that i love about bowie was that he never went the simple route. He could have just done other songs, but no, he brought out a stool, sits on the stool, and then starts reading poetry. He was promptly booed off. But this is this is the genius of Bowie. I don't know if you've ever seen the 1977 Bing Crosby Christmas special. Bowie's on it. Of course, he does Little Drummer Boy, Peace on Earth with David with uh, Bing Crosby. But then Bowie does Heroes. Mm-hmm. And Bing let him. Bing said, sure, you want to do heroes? Do heroes. Now, Bing, now, you know, Bowie could have done any number of things. He could have done another Christmas song. He could have done Space Oddity. But he went with a brand new song, a pretty far out song featuring Brian Eno on a Christmas special. <laughs> well, you know, I, and their duet, I have to say, just that's one of my favorite Christmas songs is that duet between that Bowie and Bing Crosby. It's just so wonderful. Oh, it brings tears to my eyes every single year. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. You know, in fact, if I hear more of that and less of the song that I don't want to name, because we've got that bet going on it. right now. No, I'm not going to name it. Don't Folks, name you it. can try to guess which song really annoys both of us, the uh, Christmas song. We're trying to go as long as we can without hearing it. So now let's talk about <laughs> Bowie. He he was interested in music from a really early age, right? And he, And you can see these influences. He studied art, music, and design. And then finally decided he was going to be a musician starting in 1963. But it was Space Oddity, released in 1969, that was his breakout moment, especially in the UK. Well, and, and it's, a lot of people don't realize that before Space Oddity, he released nine singles. Nine. That, that just didn't go anywhere. And, and, and that's not to say they're not good, because they are good. But I can't help thinking about me. You've got a habit of leaving. I pity the fool. Liza Jane. None of these singles charted. Not even in the lower regions. But one song he did do, which is going to be on the playlist, which is a song called The Laughing Gnome, which became a novelty hit in 73 after he had made it big with Ziggy Stardust and all that. But um, Tony, did you realize that while he was doing Space Sonity and, and doing his, his music, he was also learning mime. So on top of the design and art and all that stuff, he also learned mime. He was a quite quite a good mime artist. Well, you know, when I think of Bowie, uh, our good friend, Bernard Fraser, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to his podcast, The Essence of Cool, which uh, folks, Very you cool. should you should check this out. He does some great interviews on that show. But Bowie just represents cool, doesn't he? I mean, he's like the coolest he guy. He does, and, and, and I, I totally agree. And, and he never stopped up until the very end. I mean, he faced his up his impending death with with dignity with his with his last album, Black Star. But he he was just one of those artists that wasn't content to just rest on his laurels. Whether it meant success or not was irrelevant to Bowie. I mean, he liked success, of course, but he would do things 
that people kind of went, I don't know, like, you know, when he released the Low album, and you know, he's coming off the big Ziggy and the Aladdin Sane, and then he puts out an album with Brian Eno and Philip Glass, Robert Fripp, and half of it's instrumental, some of that's ambient. Who knew? I mean, it was a great, great album, but it shouldn't have, you know, RCA Records, I remember reading that RCA Records bought him on it, so then Bowie took out an ad saying, don't buy the album, steal it. (laughs) (laughs) That's very Bowie, isn't it? (laughs) Which I thought, okay, I love you for that. (laughs) Exactly. Now I'm looking at your chart here. You picked the top five UK singles plus one, and there's there's one particular song at number four that I think we have to mention why that song gained some notoriety and it just fits with this whole weird, spooky Halloween theme. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty spooky song. <laughs> well, I picked, I, I picked the number, number six was David Bowie's Space Oddity, which I thought I had to throw that in there because yeah. this was, this, this was a, you know, so when you say that he did Space Oddity and people went nuts, they did because it was a big hit, but then yeah. he, you know, reads poetry. Number five, The Hollies. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I know it's their song, but I prefer Neil Diamond's version of it. Just full transparency. Uh, number four, a song that my mother just would not let me listen to until I to until I was in mid, you know, late teen. I stuck out a single. Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg with "Je t'aime moi non plus." Is that did I do that okay? Uh, pretty pretty good. "Je t'aime moi non plus." Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, yeah. You're getting yeah. better there, good sir. So, I should explain. <laughs> uh, let me explain, folks, why Aaron's mother would not allow him to listen to this. <laughs> so, Serge Gainsbourg, uh, Gainsbourg was was a bit of a Lothario, wasn't he? Like this guy. Mm. You know, he uh, he had quite a bit of success with the ladies, but um, he decided recording this song, Je t'aime moi non plus, uh, with Jane Birkin, that it's, well, we should actually put sounds of us in the middle of having sex in the song. And I mean, so, they were married, to his credit. They were married. Yeah, so. but, you know, he just thought, <laughs> since we're talking about love, let's put in sounds of us actually in the act. And so... That that was why this song uh, received so much notoriety. Did this get banned by the BBC? Well, I was going to say it's probably one of the most talked about and least heard songs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. BBC banned it outright, as as did most Canadian radio stations. And and um, you know, understandably, when you hear even today, it's so not a song I want to put on in the car when I'm driving with my family. You know, it's yeah. so kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it's got the Having said that, I do love the melody of the song. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful song without question, you know, but uh, his, is, his editorial choices were questionable, I guess, but. <laughs> oh, and it gets worse as you got older. Um, number three, Lou Christie, I'm going to make you love me. Great song. Number two, here, it is a great song. You yeah. know it, eh? Yeah, I love yeah. That song. it's a fantastic song. Number two, Bobby Gentry, uh, I'll never fall in love again. Not a hit by her in North America. She only had one hit. In North America, but um, she was big in the UK. She had numerous, numerous hits there. And number one, a song we've talked about, Sugar Sugar by the Archies or Andy Kim, you know. Well, there you go. So that's a, what an interesting top five list that was. And now I think it's time for another break. But one of the traditions we've had on the show is we like to find old classic commercials from many years ago. And so I tracked one down from 1969 so here's a classic commercial and we will be right back something new is waiting for you at disneyland 
It looks rather innocent, just a big old mansion. But there's a twist. You see, this mansion is haunted. <laughs> Greetings, curious mortals. I am your ghost host at the Disneyland Haunted Mansion. Why not make final arrangements to join us soon? <laughs> We're back and we're fast forwarding to 1974. And, you know, I don't think we could go and do a Halloween show without letting a band like Led Zeppelin get in on the action. Now, full disclosure, neither one of us are huge Led Zeppelin fans, are we? But I, I'm starting to get into their really early stuff a bit more. It was when they started getting pretentious and ridiculous that I lost interest. But their old blues stuff, I love and I wish... You know, it's, it's too bad they went the direction they did. In my opinion, I'm sure I'm offending many people right now. I am, I'm sorry about that. But let's talk about, Aaron, um, what Led Zeppelin were up to on October the 31st, 1974. Well, you know, once again, the Beatles were at the forefront. The Beatles had Apple Records, and their full point of Apple Records was to bring new talent. And Led Zeppelin liked the idea. By 74, their contracts had ended with their record companies, and they formed their own label called Swan Song. And they announced the launch of the label at, I guess, Chislehurst Caves, Kent, England, on Halloween night. Of course they would. Where why, why else would Led Zeppelin do it? Um, they signed immediately groups like Bad Company, who went on to have huge success, The Pretty Things, Maggie Bell, Dave Edmonds. They had quite a roster. And I want to say something very quickly, Tony. The first album by Zeppelin on their Swan Song label was an album called Physical Graffiti. I stood in front of that building. I sent you a photo of yes, me looking right. rather cool in front of the building that was used because uh, the building was right around the corner from where my daughter lived in New York City. Back to Led Zeppelin Swan Song. The label was designed by Hypnosis, and Hypnosis, for those of you who don't know, designed most, if not all, of Pink Floyd's album covers. I, I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of good on them to to use their money to promote new artists, right? Well, exactly. But we have to get into what they were doing, uh, which makes this the perfect halloween well i was leaving that for you tori because you're, you're you're much better at this stuff than me <laughs> well you know aaron to me nothing quite says halloween like nuns in suspenders um a naked woman lying in a coffin covered in jelly and naked male wrestlers cavorting in the recesses of the caves what about you i think it was just another night at jimmy page's home um <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jimmy, what you doing tonight? Oh, you know, got naked me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's what was happening, folks. And uh, they... Can you and, imagine? Can, oh. you, can you imagine being... Look, back then, Tony, you know, the press were still pretty straight-laced. You get these reporters coming to see a launch of a label and a, a, a nun wearing suspenders oh. serving you drinks. They must Their heads must have been spinning like Linda Blair's and The Exorcist, you know? Well, and this is just absolute feeder material for spinal tap a few years later isn't it it's, it's hilarious <laughs> love spinal tap <laughs> me too and i yeah, can't wait is. till the sequel comes out but uh, they had their we're label mates there going. they had bad company the pretty things maggie bell they were also there and you know it's just just that whole vibe of the rock and roll excess right you know this might have been would you say 74 we're right at the height of of rock and roll excess, aren't we? Before things start to peter so, off so, a little bit. So just so I'm clear, Tony, you're thinking that naked male wrestlers in a cave, a naked woman in a co coffin covered in jelly and drinks served by nuns and suspenders is excess? 
<laughs> yeah, we're, we're 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 smack dab in the whole rock and roll. Keith Moon driving cars into pools and and yeah. and uh, you know it's just it was you could understand why punk came from seeing all this, right? Like, it's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. So anyway, that's what was going on. That's what Zeppelin was up to on Halloween, and and it, it totally fits the theme of today's show. Now I love the fact. I'm looking at your chart here for this because we always do a chart for each segment because it gives you a, a really great slice of life, doesn't it? You, you can take a look at what people were listening to and it says a lot about the society at the time. So we've got the, again, UK top five albums plus one. And I know why you did the plus one, but uh, <laughs> what were people buying in 74 in the UK? Well, again, you know, it's just my little reminder that, um, the Beatles didn't go away in no. the 70s. In fact, they were huge. John Lennon was at number six with Walls and Bridges, terrific album uh, featuring Elton John on two tracks. Number five is Paul McCartney with Band on the Run, of course, with Wings. Number four, again, this guy keeps popping up, and you don't hear him on the – I don't hear him on the radio here in Toronto. John Denver, Back Home Again, one of my favorite albums by him, Tony. Mm, that is a great album, yeah. Number three – what would Halloween be without Mike Oldfield's tubular bells? Um, you know, it was used for the exorcist and from that point on became synonymous with, with scary things. Oh, by the way, Mike Oldfield's tubular bells. Did you know that album sold up until about five years ago, a hundred thousand copies a year. And it kept Virgin in business through the seventies and eighties and nineties. Wow. You know what? We haven't rang the bell for a while on the show. So that is a bell ringing moment. Cause I bet you very few people tubular bells. <laughs> Nice, nice. I love coincidences like that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, number two is an interesting album. It's called Sailor by Rod Stewart. And it features a song, and I put it on the Spotify playlist. And maybe I'll throw it into the show. But uh, it has a song called Mind For Me that Paul McCartney wrote just for Rod. And McCartney himself never recorded the song. So it's the only chance you can hear the song is by Rod Stewart. Great song, too. And number one. The best band of the 1970s. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> I, couldn't do it with, I couldn't do it with a straight face, man. I could not do it. Number one was the Bay City Rollers and Rolling. There you go. All right. There you go. Now, you know, uh, folks, every once in a while, we run into uh, like the oddest story while we're researching this show. And, it, and it's not enough for a full segment but it's definitely worth a mention what do you want to call this Aaron should we call it like the weird files or something like that I'll, I'll look for some I like the weird files because I'm an X-Files fan so let's yeah yeah okay file. I'll look for some kind of X-Files-ish uh, music that's not going to you know end up getting us sued but so <laughs> here's our inaugural the weird files and I love this one. This is just so out there. Um, During a gig in Seattle, Washington, Billy Idol, who I saw live and who was fantastic, actually, uh, dumped 600 dead fish in Faith No More's dressing room. Now, you know, that's laying down the gauntlet, isn't it? But what did Faith No More do in return, Aaron? Yeah. Well, what did they do in return is they responded by walking on stage, stark naked, during Billy Idol set. So they, they pulled a, uh, what's that group? Red Hot Chili Peppers moment <laughs> uh, during Billy. So, uh, you know, boy, would I love to end up that show. 
Yeah. And you know, uh, they pulled a red hot chili peppers moment without the socks on. Right. So yes, <laughs> came on yes. stark naked. Yes. So that is our first inaugural, the weird files moment folks. And guess Can what? Ask it, your question. Yeah. Yeah. Where would you get 600 pounds of, I mean, I know Seattle has the fish market, Pike's market, but 600 pounds is a lot of fish. Well, I'm sure he just called Pike's right. And probably guess, paid, paid with his credit card and said, can you deliver? <laughs> do, you, do you deliver? That's a good one. <laughs> so anyway, like uh, we'll be uh, right back and we're going to get into our from Memphis to Merseyside moment. So stick around. Tony, this uh, from Memphis to Merseyside, we're going to talk about the Beatles in, in just a minute. But before we talk about their their history, back in what year was it? Oof, going way back, 1959. I spent the last few days listening to the new Revolver box set. And uh, I, as you know, I write for Spell Magazine. The review is going to be for Spell Magazine. And Revolver is my favorite album of all time. Not just Beatles, just of all time. And this box set is is so worth a listen the original version of yellow submarine with the original lyrics in the town where i was born no one cared no one cared john lennon singing that oh just wow really just you take this lovely kid song that evolved from that but and then you get to hear john lennon singing yellow submarine lead vocals so it's it's an amazing box set and the new mix everything is sharp and just sounds phenomenal so spoiler alert i give it a good review but uh, i'm just addicted to this box set yeah i can't wait to listen to that it's it's going to be fantastic oh you wait to hear the original there's an instrumental version of got to get you into my life with just the horns oh you will love it you will die well yeah because we just just talked about that a couple of weeks ago actually yeah yeah you're gonna love that but in 1959 before the revolver now again i'm gonna just say this so 59 to 66 is seven short years, folks. Seven mm-hmm. years, which is the time between Eminem albums. In seven years, uh, the Quarrymen would change their name to the Beatles. But before they did that, they were going for an audition for the uh, Carol Lewis show. Now, Carol Lewis was a, a, a promoter. You know, he promoted these, these package groups of, of, of um, British pop stars. So they changed their name for whatever reason to Johnny and the Moondogs, and they didn't have a drummer. So it was just John, Paul, and George. And I don't know if you know this, Tony, but when promoters used to say, you don't have a drummer, Lennon would say, the rhythm's in the guitar, man, the rhythm's in the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So, yeah, for a very short time, they were Johnny and the Moondogs. Thankfully, they dropped that name. But, you know, again, they were kids. They were being influenced by the, the 50s, and they're looking at America and oh, exactly. beyond the Belmonts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was understandable they did kind of something like that. But um, Johnny and the Moondogs, can you imagine? Johnny and the Moondogs presents Revolver. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what, Aaron? Uh, it is, we're at the end of our road trip. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Where did the time go? Oh. Well, we still have time to trick or treat, so it's good. Well, that's right. And hopefully the kids will be out in full force. I think that was one of the saddest things the last few years is that, you know, the kids weren't coming to the door and, and I'm, and I'm so excited that they're going to be out in their ghost and goblin and princess and whatever else costumes this year. It's going to be fantastic. 
I wonder if there would be any Kanye costumes. This is pretty <laughs> scary these days. <laughs> yeah, without the Adidas shoes, right? That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I know my current events. See, I'm not that old. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. We're good. We're good, man. We're gold. We're gold. You know, Tony, before we go, um, I'm a chart guy. And you put something really interesting in the notes that we didn't really talk about during the, the, the body of the show. But I think we should mention it because it's really interesting. Sure. What did you put in there? So this is a really cool chart fact and it's hard to believe actually this is 1998 october the 31st but the uk top five singles this was the first time isn't that hard to believe the first time that the top five singles were all entirely new entries so aaron what does that mean just we'll put it in context for people well, so usually in the chart, you have a record come in at number 17 or number 18, and then goes up the chart slowly but surely. Now, sometimes you have, you know, big hits right off the bat. This means that all of these records, it was their first week on the chart. So that's pretty cool. It is. And I'll, I'm just going to run it down, okay, for a really quick. Uh, Alanis Morissette, number five. Culture Club, number four. U2, number three. George Michael, number two. And Cher who I still blame for the auto-tune debacle that plagues us As to this day. Should. Yes, God, Cher, I wish you had never done that. But anyway, uh, Cher uh, was the first female, female artist to have a number one single over the age of 50. And it went to number one in 23 countries. And do you remember what song that was? That was Believe, wasn't it? Do you believe that? <laughs> I just can't believe what... Uh, Share did that impacted the music industry for so many years after him. I hate autotune. Just, just saying. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. So, folks, whether you've been listening on radio or on your podcast player, we just like to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. Um, this show, you know, it's hard to believe this is episode seventy-four. Our next one is going to be number seventy-five, and we're well on the way to that magical one hundred number. We should thank. Uh, Rick Denis, who provided the music for today. And Rick, there's two tunes that we used of Rick's today. One is called Slide On Up, and the music that you're hearing right now is called This Rumbling Sky. Don't forget to check out our radio show. It's called From Memphis to Merseyside, and it's on Bombshell Radio, Thursdays at 8 o'clock. In the meantime, Aaron, when the man is getting you down, what should you do? Just keep on rocking, because that's basically it. We'll see you soon, folks. And happy Halloween. <laughs>